Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Who's ready for the Word of God today? Why don't we stand to our feet? I always like you to encourage everyone watching online and in the room to stand to your feet because we need to honour the Word of God. And this is an incredible text. And uh, when we stand, you know, it's like we're leaning in. There's a sense of shift of posture, okay, so we don't spectate. Ephesians 3, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus when he's under arrest in Rome. He's imprisoned. He says this, Ephesians 3.13, So I ask you, Ephesian church, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So we get a picture that Paul is under great duress. Verse 14, which, you know, makes what he's about to say next very mind-blowing. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How many of you want to receive that prayer for your life today? Now to Him who is able to do far more, say more, abundantly than all that we ask or think, say think, according to the power at work within us. How many of you know you've got power at work within you? To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's give God a big shout of praise for that powerful text. I'm going to unpack that for you today. Grab your seat. Today, I want to speak to you on the thought, there's more to it than you think. Turn to someone and say, there's more to it than you think. Turn to the other person and say, there's more to me than you think. (laughs) All the single people, that was your in. (laughs) Hey, I want to encourage you today that if if there's something that I say uh, that really resonates in your heart today, vocalize it, say yes, yes, amen. You know, faith is a condition of the heart, but it's best expressed vocally, right? And so if there's something that that really resonates with you that stirs your faith today, say yes, amen. Come on, are you there? All right, today I want to speak to you on the thought, there's more to it than you think. Last May, Chrissy and I had an opportunity to go up to Exmouth. For those of you that are watching online, don't know where Exmouth is. It's about 13, 1,400 kilometers from Perth. It's this beautiful coastal town. It's a resort town. And um, one of the things that we got to do while we were in Exmouth was to snorkel some spots. How many of you love snorkeling? Yeah. How many of you just stay right away from the water? It freaks you out, right? The thought of sharks. No, we love snorkeling and it's one of the things that we love to do. And we were actually on a charter boat for one day and uh, we did some offshore snorkeling. And standing on the stern of the boat looking out, the back of the boat looking out, the water was completely beautiful on the surface. It was one of those days, stunning. It was that beautiful turquoise, northwest Western Australia turquoise color. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have been up to that part of the, the state? Beautiful turquoise, and you can see some dark shapes, meaning there were some you know, reef areas and all of that. It was absolutely stunning from the surface. But it wasn't until we jumped in the water, put our faces in, and even dove down and had a look at, at the, the full coral formations that we began to see that there was so much more under the, surf, uh, under the surface than it was standing on the surface. Make sense to you guys? You know, and it was this beautiful picture of the way God created for us to see perspective and to see life. One of the great things that we did while we were on the charter boat is well, we also got a chance to snorkel with whale sharks. Whale sharks, for those of you that don't know, are the largest 
fish in the ocean. And uh, it was just an incredible uh, experience for us. And what the charter operators would do is that they had to have a helicopter that would fly ahead and through the clarity of the water, they'd try and spot whale sharks along the coast and they'd radio in to the boat and the skipper would drive the boat to where the vicinity of the whale shark was spotted. And it was there that then they would, they would you know, obviously get, get a, a first diver in and that charter operator diver would, would then guide us and we would all just jump off and I was the last one of our group to jump off because I'm a little chicken. Chrissy was the first. Because <laughs> that's how our marriage works. She always goes first. And I was the last. Risk averse, risk taker. Perfect match. Right? And was this one like you could not see anything on the surface again? It was absolutely beautiful. You could not see where the whale shark was until you actually jump in. And once I got in, by the time I got in, the whale shark was probably about two meters away from me. Oh my gosh. Amazing, right? I've actually got a picture of us in the water. That's, that's Chrissy over there trying to get as close to the whale shark as possible. That's me on this side trying to get as far away from the whale shark as possible. There are actually two different sharks there. Um, but it was incredible. And you know, the, the, the point of the story is that it's not until you get your face in and jump in the water that you see so much more than you would ordinarily if you were on the surface. At, at the end of the, the charter trip, at the end of the day, you know, you, you hang out with the same group of people, you get to know them. And I was just chatting with a couple that were retirees and they, what they love to do is snorkeling. They travel around Australia to snorkel around different spots. And we were just having a bit of a chat. He was an elderly man. And just to strike up conversation, I just kind of just said to him, you know, hey, it, it's just so beautiful up here at the, at the back of the boat, just looking out, the water is so calm. And, and, I, and I just said to him, you know, it's, it's not until you jump in that you see so much more. Hey, it's, it's pretty amazing down there. And um, he said something to me that just absolutely stuck with me. He said, hey, it's a bit like life, isn't it? You can't just look at the things on the surface. There's always more to it than you think. There's always more to it than you think. Now, I don't always get sermon ideas from random conversations with old guys on a boat. <laughs> but when I began to unpack Ephesians chapter 3 and this message that I'm about to preach today, it began to remind me of the conversation that I did have and, and the whole experience of just jumping in the water and then diving into the, 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 the deeper parts and checking out the coral formations and, and all of that. It began to just speak to me. How many of you know creation prophesies to us sometimes? It began to speak to me that you see so much more when you're prepared to go beneath the surface. Have you ever looked at a situation in your life or maybe you heard someone share something with you or maybe they told you something that happened to them and the first thought you had or maybe the first thing you said to yourself was, hold on, there's more to what's going on here than you think. Have you ever, ever had that sense? Where someone's told you something and maybe you had a sense, hold on, there's more to this than you think. Have you ever been in a situation in life where you're faced with something and you jumped to conclusions based on what you saw, but only to find out sometime later that there was so much more to it than you thought? Have you maybe, in seasons gone by, maybe condemned, written off, prejudged, maybe made your mind up about something or someone based on something they said or a little window of time where they reacted or behaved a certain way only to find out sometime later that there was so much more to it than you thought. What does this have anything to do with Ephesians chapter 3? Well, I'm about to teach you today. Is that okay? How many of you are ready for some teaching? 
When Paul wrote Ephesians 3, he was imprisoned in Rome. He was, he was arrested and he was probably beaten most days of his life. He was probably short of sight because he'd been so badly disfigured from the beating. And we know at the time of his writing, this was probably 12 to 15 years after he'd planted this church in Ephesus. So you can imagine what the, this must be like, being the recipient of this epistle as the members of the church of Ephesus. And you love your pastor. You know that he is suffering. He wrote that in, in the text that we, that we read, didn't we? Yeah. yeah, we understand he's suffering. So here, you, you, you love your pastor. He's, he's 12, 15 years now. He, you, you, he's, he's been journeying with you and writing back to you. And now you know that he's under arrest. He's going to be beheaded. He, he knows that because the guards are probably telling him every day, we're going to kill you, not getting out of this situation. And notice what Paul writes. It makes what he writes after he discloses that you know that I'm suffering, makes even much more remarkable what he's about to say. He did not campaign for his release. He did not ask the Ephesian church, would you just advocate for my freedom. He didn't write back to them to ask for sympathy, for them to send food, send clothes, write him a card, whatever. He didn't ask for that. He prays for them and says that, we are, I just pray for you that you're going to be strengthened by his spirit according to his riches in glory, that you're going to be rooted and grounded in love, that you would comprehend the love that surpasses knowledge, that you'll be filled with the fullness of God. And then he says some remarkable words. He says this, now to him, being God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. If you knew the context that he wrote this fully being under suffering and under duress and saying this to them, you might now have a very different spin on how you previously would have applied Ephesians chapter 3.20. Because a very basic application, nothing wrong with this, but a very basic application for us would have been like this, right? Oh, you know what, guys? Um, my wife and I were believing for, to, to buy a house. And guess what? We bought a house last weekend. And for the price that we wanted, we got a double carport and an ensuite also. Now to him who's able to do more exceedingly abundantly of all that we can ask or think. That's how we would apply it. Nothing wrong with that. However, if I could contextualize what Paul was trying to say in Ephesians chapter 3, if I could paraphrase what he's saying, it would sound a little bit like this. Hey, hey, church in Ephesus, I'm writing to you from prison in Rome. I know you know I'm suffering. I know you know my situation looks dire. And I know you probably think that God is not doing that much right now, that he's just barely keeping me alive until they behead me. But guys, let me tell you, there's more to it than you think. Come on, are you following me so far? I'm here to tell you today, whatever it is that you're going through, there's more to it than you think. I'm here to declare to you today, if you're frustrated at God because of what you can see at face value or on the surface, there's more to it than you think. I'm here to say to you, if you're faced with the situation that you're struggling with, there's more to it than you think. God is doing more in your situation than you think He is. That's what Paul's whole thing about Ephesians chapter 3 was. You can't see what God sees. He created the oceans and everything in it, the Bible says. You're not going to see everything that God sees sitting at the back of the boat, looking at the surface. Get your face in and dive deep to see. You're going to miss everything if you just see your life at surface value. God has an entire ecosystem going on underneath from little colorful angelfish that swim amongst the coral to whale sharks that cruise the open seas. We gotta stop having a surface level, skin deep, fingernail deep theology. The church, the world doesn't need a church with shallow theology. See, sometimes we confuse shallow with simple. The gospel is simple, but I'll tell you what, it ain't shallow. So much more to it 
than you think. If you have a revelation this weekend, if all that I can leave you with this weekend is that you have a revelation that there is so much more to it than you think, it's going to save you so many sleepless nights. We stay up at night worrying about things at the surface when we don't consider there could be oceans deep worth of things that God is actually doing. We don't just see this played out in creation in oceans and underwater reefs, but we see in Scripture it's soil and the seed. Let me just suggest this for you for a moment. If you take a seed of a fruit tree and you plant it in the soil, and over the next two to three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, ten weeks, four months, five months, stand over that patch of soil, you might be tempted to report to God that nothing's happening and planting seeds is a waste of time. And that's how we do our Christianity, isn't it? We stand over patches of soil and we go, God, where are you? And we look at the soil from different angles. We Google how to look at soil from different angles. We have coffees with our friends and we share with them, unload, vent about how there's nothing happening in the soil. But you have no idea about what's happening on the surface. You have absolutely no idea. There is an entire ecosystem where moisture and nutrients are cracking open the hard exterior of the seed and the process of germination starts to happen. You can't see that. There's complex reactions and transformations that happen under the ground. There are all kinds of things, worms and bacteria and different things that are working in the favor of the seed. All you need to do is look beneath the surface. There's always more to it than you think. No wonder Paul would say to an Ephesian church, I know it looks like I'm in prison. I know it looks like it's very dire right now, but God is able to do so much more than you can think. Don't just have a shallow view of what is going on in your life. There is so much more to it than you think. Shallow theology would say, oh, bad things are happening to me right now. I'm just getting attacked by the devil. Oh, bad things are happening to you right now. You must be a really disobedient Christian. Oh, bad, oh man, that you're really going through a really tough time right now. What, what, what wrong thing have you done lately? It's a shallow way of looking at Scripture. Shallow way of looking at Scripture. Don't just have a theology that says just because a bad thing is going on that I'm a bad person. Come on, are you out there? Hello. No matter what you're going through today, you got to understand that God is more at work than you give him credit for. How many of you know a character by the name of Joseph? Joseph is detailed in the book of Genesis. If you're unsure of Joseph, I'm going to just summarize his life for you. As I reflect on his life, at 17 years old, he's introduced to us. The Bible tells us he's a dreamer. He's got great dreams in God of being great influence, and and he has dreams of having influence over his family and living a significant life. As a young boy, he was known as the dreamer. They called him Joseph the dreamer. The next account of Joseph, we see him being betrayed by his brothers. He's beaten up, left in a pit to die by his own brothers. And in the pit, he's, he's pulled out by Ishmaelites. These people traffic him like a slave to a foreign country called Egypt, and it's in Egypt that he's bought by a man by the name of Potiphar, who's a high-ranking official in the Egyptian courts, the Egyptian government. And while he's working for Potiphar, he's accused of rape by Potiphar's wife and thrown into jail. How many of you know that if you look at the surface, that is a really tragic story and no one wants to be like Joseph? 
On the surface, looking at Joseph's life, you'd probably say by the time you get to the midpoint of Joseph's life, probably conclude that God, Joseph being significant and influential, I think you got it wrong about this boy. Because he's now 25 years old and he's rotting in a prison cell. Come on. How many of you have been in a situation in your life where things look so dire that you become, you've come so close to giving up on God based on what you could see on the surface? At surface level, you could have been excused to say, that was a shame, wasn't it, about Joseph? Joseph, you can be excused for giving up on God, but the Bible is not a surface book. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, it is a book that reminds us that there's always more to it than you think. And it's not until through the passage of time, 15, 16 years later, that we realize that Joseph didn't just have the gift of having dreams, he was also being gifted to be a dream interpreter. It is in that season in the prison cell that the king, uh, the, 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 the Pharaoh of Egypt had these dreams that, uh, about these, these crazy things. He needed someone to interpret them. He pulls Joseph out of the prison cell. Joseph interprets these dreams for him. He then comes and rises into prominence to become the prime minister. These dreams speak of a time that a famine would come. Cut a long story short, Joseph goes from the prison cell to the parliament house, and he controls the food supply of the entire region, not just Egypt. And you know, you would have been, you would have been forgiven for writing Joseph off at the midpoint of his life by looking at the surface of what was going on. We cast our eyes on the circumstances, but God understands your life that is oceans deep. He reconciles and restores with his own family. And only when you understand that there is more to it than you think, are you able to say what Joseph did that day after almost a decade and a half of living like his father thought he was dead. He was able to say this to his own brothers in verse 20, Genesis 50. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Man, I wonder today, if you're going through something, whether you're able to hang in there long enough for one day to be able to see that there was so much more to it than you thought that you can say what people meant for evil, God has meant it for good. To be able to say, you got to hang in there long enough to understand that what you meant for my suffering became my success. When you made me a victim, God was preparing me to be a victor. When they put me in the prison, it was preparing me for the parliament. I'm wondering if there's somebody today, you're going through something. In your marriage, in your health, in your parenting, in your journey of life, in your relational world, where it looks like the pit or the prison. Maybe there's something going on in your finances, in your business world, where it ain't working out the way you thought. And on the surface, it looks like it's a lost cause. Can I suggest to you today that there is more to it than you think? There's always more to it than you think. Don't go shallow in God. When God knows your life, there's so much more than what you can see on the surface. Do you know why I think we sometimes have a shallow theology? It's because the world has actually conditioned us to be shallow. We judge things on two-second scrolls. Oh, oh, you dressed like that today. Oh, you believe that about the vaccinations, huh? Oh, oh, two-second scrolls. We jump to conclusions and we judge things on two-second scrolls. How many of you are so glad you don't have a God who judges you on two seconds of your behavior this morning? How many of you are so glad 
You haven't got a God who judges you when you had a really bad day two weeks ago. I'm just so glad you haven't got a God that judges you based on the conversation you wish no one had heard the things you said to your wife to her face. Getting real quiet now, come on. How many of you know that from your best days to your worst days, God never deals with us based on what can be seen on the surface. His knowledge of us is oceans deep. Come on, the Bible says he knows every hair on our head. In my case, there's not much to know. But he knows me nonetheless. But he knows every hair on your head. For the three of us bros. There's not a lot to know, but he knows it all. Come on, Carlo. Thank God that you haven't got a God who judges you on that terrible response to that email you had. On that train of thought that you allowed your mind to get to last week because you had that conversation with your mother-in-law. Thank God, God does not judge you on a shallow, skin-deep theology. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? There's more to it than you think. Can I take this a little deeper with you guys? John chapter four accounts for one of my, it's one of my most favorite texts in scripture. It's, a, it's 40 verses of a conversation that Jesus is having with the most random woman, like random, but God knew who she was. The Bible tells us she's a Samaritan woman. Jesus is sitting by Jacob's well outside Sychar, which is by the region of Samaria. And he encounters a Samaritan woman. Conceptually, these Samaritans were not liked by the Jews. They just had nothing to do with each other. The Jews despised the Samaritans. It was just this class system thing. It was this racial ethnic divide thing. Very hard for us to understand in the 21st century, but in the first century Palestine region, this was very, very common. Now, if you were to read this text, if you were a silent eyewitness to this account, you might have summed up this very strange interaction and conversation at a surface level and probably got it all wrong. If you were, say, the news media at the time, first century, you know, Samaritan Gazette, right? And you, and you were like a news reporter, you'd probably have a little news flash that looked a little bit like this. Misogynistic Jewish man sits by a water well at 12 noon in the middle of the hottest and brightest part of Middle Eastern day, treating a Samaritan woman like she's inferior, making her serve him a drink like a slave. That's how the media would have reported it. And, you know, encourage outrage because it's, you know, we're pushing for equality and all those sorts of things, right? Part of you know there's more to it than that. As we begin to read this account, John chapter 4, I'm going to show you how Jesus always deals with us at more than just the surface level. It says, so we came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Say sixth hour. That's very significant. Sixth hour is 12 noon in the middle of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her. <laughs> he answers her with an answer that's so much more to it than you think. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. See, she's looking at it on the surface level. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let me preach this. Here is Jesus, and he encounters this woman, and at face value, this woman had come to draw water on the hottest part of the day. Now, if you were a cynic sitting there, you would thought, what a stupid decision. Nobody draws water at the hottest part of the day. No one does this. It is a poor water-fetching decision. And yet Jesus sits by the well. He doesn't judge her about her poor water-fetching practices. He begins to talk to her about the emptiness in her life. I'm even so glad Jesus doesn't see your behavior and tries to deal with your behavior. He always knows that there's more to you than you think. He begins to say to her, I know about you. My knowledge of you, woman, is oceans deep. I know that you've been married five times. And I know that the man that you're with right now, you're not married to. He doesn't humiliate her. He doesn't criticize her. He doesn't say to her, stop doing that. You know how you've been married so many times? Just stop it. That's what we do. Just stop doing that. That's really bad for you. That's how we speak to the world. That's how we speak. Just stop it. He doesn't say that. Because Jesus knew that for a woman to live like she was living in first century Palestine, it's likely she would have been treated like a commodity, used sexually and devalued by men. Society in first century Palestine would have stigmatized divorce 100 times worse for a woman than a man. And the more she was used and discarded, the more she was unlikely to be able to afford to even support herself because no one would have employed her after her first divorce. This was before the days of divorce lawyers where you get 50-50. Come on, are you out there? Right? It was a horrible cycle to be trapped in. It's likely that by the time her fifth husband gave her the flick, no man wanted nor needed to marry her. She would have had to have slept with the next available guy just to put food on the table. So, I ask you, why would a woman be so dumb as to do one of the day's most physically taxing chores, which is to fetch water at 12 noon, the hottest and brightest time of the day? There's more to it than you think. So easy for us to judge us as stupid woman, fetching water at the hottest time of the day. But God knew Jesus himself knew that there was more to it than you thought, that she would rather feel the heavy bite of water jugs on her shoulders and the scorching sun on her skin in the bright of day than to have to contend with the piercing glares of a hundred judgmental women in the cool of the morning. There is more to it than that. It's easy for us to judge the world for how they behave, but Jesus didn't come to judge the world at a surface level. He came to transform hearts. I need a resounding amen from somebody today. It was shame that caused her to fetch water at the worst time of the day because shame is pain. And pain makes us choose wrong options because pain of the wrong option often feels less than the pain of the right option. No wonder we behave the way that we do. There's always more to a person's behavior, reactions, responses than you think. And would you notice with me, John chapter four, how the gospel is played out. Jesus was nowhere interested in changing her behavior. He wanted to transform her life. 
He did not ask her to change her lifestyle. Jesus transformed her heart. I'm wondering today whether we've got a church in the lead up to Easter that's willing to come back again and see the world as to more than just the surface level of the issues that we see. Come on, are you out there? Are we willing to look at each other again and to see each other through the lens of Christ? There is so much more than you think. Here we are sitting in the back of the boat, judging the conditions of the ocean by what we can see on the surface when God knows every single one of you. Oceans deep, oceans deep. Do you see a man that's angry all the time with a temper and you label him as having an anger problem? What if he was deeply afraid? What if he's petrified deep down of failure? Do you see a mum that just wants to be up in everyone's grill and just a busybody wanting to know everything? You label her as controlling? What if she's deeply scared of losing everything she loves, afraid of being irrelevant to her grown-up kids? Do you see a young man who's addicted to pornography? You label him. He's got a lust problem. What if the release just medicates the pain of the rejection from his father? Do you see a girl on social media and she's not wearing much and you label her with this, that, and the other? What if she's masking the pain of an abuse by every like takes the edge off? Friend, there is so much more to it than you think. Thank God we got a savior who sits at the well and doesn't judge this woman for her poor water-fetching decisions because everybody would have. She would have tried fetching water at dusk in the cool of the day and everyone would have glared at her until it drove her to the point where she came to fetch water at the hottest part of the day, the brightest time of the day to mask the darkness that's on the inside of her. I'm wondering if I've got a church today that's willing in this part of Easter, in the lead up to Easter, to be the kind of church that's willing to see that there is so much more under the surface of humanity than we can see. It's time for the gospel to penetrate beyond the surface. I need a resounding amen from somebody today. The world judges us on what's going on on the outside. Tries to give us temporal solutions to deal with deeply ingrained problems. You confused with your gender? Let's give you a non-binary pronoun to make you feel better. You confused with how you're feeling? Let's give you this, this temporary fix. You're depressed? Let's give you pills out of a bottle. You're going through a hard time? Why don't you drink? Medicate the pain. We try and fix things that are, do, uh, that, that are because of the brokenness of the human condition by external, external means, but Jesus never came yeah. to clean your cobwebs. He came to kill your spider. Yeah. And when the gospel is preached... There's got to be the reality that the church stewards, that there is so much more to it than you think. This is the richness and the depth. And when we say Jesus loves, when we say Jesus saves, and when we say Jesus heals, you got to understand that he came to do so much more than fix your problems on the outside. He came to transform your life on the inside. I want to teach an entire generation to have so much more than just skin-deep, shallow theology. There is so much more to the beauty and the power of the gospel. Who wants to experience that this Easter? Come on, give Jesus a resounding amen. You need to know that you've got a Savior who's deeply interested in dealing with so much more than just your behavior. In fact, this week as I was praying, I had this prophetic picture. There's there's someone, whether you're watching online or, or you're in the room today, I just had this picture of 
and, 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 and you're a man, and in, your, in the latter half of your life, and you haven't been happy for a really long time, and I saw the sense of disgruntledness, the sense of, of unhappiness. You're just a little bit low-grade frustrated day to day. You know, you're a bit intolerant. You're, you're a little bit short with people. And it, 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 on the surface level, people could probably say you're just a grumpy old man, that, that you, you, your wife didn't clean the house properly, your kids haven't performing at school, whatever, but it's more than that. The Lord wants you to know that there is so much more to you than you even think. You're actually deeply afraid that you've missed the greatest window of your life, of living a significant life. But God wants you to know he's come to heal and restore you. That in this season, God has your greatest days ahead for you. Another, another picture I saw prophetically during the week as I was praying, I, I see, and, and you're a woman. And, and, and if you could best be described at the surface level, you're a bit of a chameleon. You would go from one group and you behave a certain way. And you go to another group, you behave a certain way. And you go to another group and you kind of adopt that language there. And it, it, it's the sense of being people-pleasing all the time. And, and, and the sense that I get is God, God wants you to know there's so much more to you than you think. He knows you. It's oceans deep. It's, it's your deep, deep fear of being rejected. He wants you to know this coming Easter that he so loves you, that you're going to find your identity in Christ today, that if you're open to it, he's going to touch your heart. There's so much more to you than just being trying to be everyone else's friend. God has got so much more in store for you. Is that helpful to you guys? Just to receive that somebody, if that's you. The Samaritan woman came and hid her shame on the sixth hour. It was the brightest time of the day. Can you see the paradox with me? She tried to hide the darkness of her heart at the brightest time of the day. And we could read John chapter 4. At the surface level, could have been the newsflash. Misogynistic Jewish man asked Samaritan woman to give him a drink of water, treats her as inferior. Oh, but we know more. Jesus unpacks the emptiness in her life, offers her himself living water. Brilliant. Fantastic. We've exegeted the scripture really well. Perhaps you know with the Bible, there's always more to it than you think. There's even more to John chapter 4 than you realize. Some of you are going, what? That's more? Come with me. Matthew chapter 27. It is the account of Jesus being crucified. Let's read it. He's now hanging on the cross. And it says, over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. There's no more sarcastic or humiliating sign to be put on someone whose flesh has been torn up. It says, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. He suffers the shame of being hung with robbers. And those who passed by derided or ridiculed him, wagging their heads, saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. We'll let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Y'all catching this? Some of you go, no. The Samaritan woman represents the sinful Gentile. That's you and me. That's you and me. Some of you are going, what? I haven't had five husbands. Oh my God, I can't even handle one. <laughs> it doesn't matter. She represents the brokenness in all of us. Do you understand that? Yeah. Don't judge her. 
Don't judge her. Relate to her. Make sense? So here's the Samaritan woman. She hides the darkest part of her life at the sixth hour, noon, the brightest part of the day. Fast forward a year and a half later, the king of kings was already prophesying back then of a time that would come where he would be hanging on the cross on the sixth hour, the brightest part of the day. Darkness rolls over the earth because he takes upon himself our darkness so that today you don't have to deal with your issues at a surface skin deep gospel level. The gospel is a promise that Jesus has come not to change your behavior, but to transform your life. It is wholeness and healing that the human soul needs, not judgment and condemnation. It's time for the church to speak up again about the real gospel. What we have is a Jesus that loves you, that saves you, that heals you inside out. I need a resounding amen from somebody today. There's always more to it than you think. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.